good to see everyone this morning. And uh, it's good to be in the Lord's house, even on a holiday weekend. Um, great crowd of people here coming to worship the Lord. We want to pray for those who are not here, probably some traveling, even some who might be sick this weekend. We want to hold them up in prayer. Uh, the Lord would bring healing to them. We also want to th- say thank you for your prayers for us as we traveled home last week to Nebraska. And not really home anymore. This is home, but um, still referring to it as home and, and might for a while. But uh, we were blessed with uh, traveling mercies. We have our whole family here with us now. And so we thank the Lord for that. And in case any of you might be thinking their family is bigger than I thought it was, and we actually brought two back, two additional ones back with us, and um, a couple of friends of our younger daughters um, came back and stay, are going to stay about a week and then go home, and so um, definitely glad to have them out here in California, trying to convince them that California is great, so then they can convince their parents, and, and they can come out and, and enjoy California as well. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 John as we continue our study through the book. As discussed uh, two weeks ago in the first sermon on uh, these verses, um, the book of 1 John has several uh, tests or exams that um, are meant to identify or to authenticate true faith. And the reason these tests, John writes about these tests or exams is, is twofold. Number one is to expose false teachers, which um, the book of 1 John is really written about, is the exposing of false teachers so that the true church will be set apart and, uh, and be reassured in their faith. But at the same time, having these tests also um, identifies or exposes counterfeit faith. And I believe we live in a world today in a culture where uh, counterfeit faith is, is something of the norm, uh, meaning that our churches are uh, full of people, but when you look at our daily lives, when you look at the uh, trending of our culture, you look at the trending of our world, it's really not going in this direction, getting closer to God, but it's moving further and further away from him. And we have to ask the question, if 80 plus percent of Americans claim to be Christians, and yet the moral status of our culture is on the decline, we either say Christianity is on the decline, or we have to identify the fact that probably a lot of the people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are really not. And, um, and that's a serious thing because it starts to hit home because we all sit in church on Sundays, right? And we all struggle throughout the week as well, right? So, so we understand this, and it, it gets to a place where, um, like Paul says to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. It gets to a place where each one of us has to stop and begin to evaluate, begin to look at, begin to unpack our own lives and see if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. And the way that John um, starts the process, starts to help us to discern where we're at spiritually, the first thing that he does is he shines the light on them. In other words, he says that the first true authentication of our faith is, is how we respond when God's light shines into our lives. And we talked last week, or two weeks ago, um, 
We talked about a few things from this text that are important for us to remember. Uh, we, we note that um, the light that comes into the world is going to shine on all men. John chapter number one and verse nine, the Bible says that the light shines on all who are in the world. And the light comes in the person of Jesus Christ. The text here tells us that there is no darkness within this light. In other words, there's no shadows to hide in. When we have the light of the glory of Christ shine into our world, shine into our lives, shine into our realm, there is nowhere to hide. Okay? Um, when God's light shines in an individual's life, they're for a unbeliever, for an unconverted person, their first response is to do what? Find what? To find the darkness. To find some place, some shadow, some place where they can hide from God's presence so that they, cannot, so that they are not condemned by his justice and his holiness. We know that the light of Christ shines to every man, that it comes in the person of Jesus Christ, that its purpose is is to expose, penetrate, and destroy darkness. 1 John chapter number 5 tells us that Jesus was, has come into the world to destroy the works of the devil. The purpose of Christ is to destroy darkness. And he destroys darkness. He starts by destroying darkness in, uh, in his resurrection, where he um, puts a mortal wound on the devil. And he continues to destroy darkness in sanctification, in that he delivers us from darkness each and every day, and he will ultimately destroy darkness in the, um, in the, in the second coming, when, when all things will be made new and Christ will be exalted and, and uh, all the knees, all of, our, all of humanity will bow before his, his holy throne. The, the next thing that we saw was the fact that what the light produces in us is what defines us, okay? How the light affects us is what defines who we are as uh, spiritual beings. Um, the unbeliever responds to the light with denial, deception, and, dis and dishonor to God, denying that they are even in darkness. And the believer responds in humility, repentance, and faith, Humility, repentance, and faith or dependence. Uh, John chapter number three talks about that light has come into this world and that men ran from the light because they loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In other words, they sought to find that place of, of protection from the light. In the same sense, the Bible says in John three that those whose work have been wrought in God or um, that's a King James phrase for you. Those whose works have been done in the Lord, they come into the light that their deeds might be seen, not that they might be exalted, but that the Lord himself might be, exal be exalted. It is important to remember that these tests, these exams in 1 John are not meant to evaluate if you believe nor are they meant to evaluate if you believe enough. But they are meant to evaluate what you believe in. You see, the issue isn't whether or not you believe. James tells us in chapter number two that everyone believes, including the devil. But his belief is not in the right thing. The object of his faith is not the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God as Savior and Redeemer. 
Their, their faith in Christ is not a humble, repentant type of faith. It is an, an arrogant knowledge and, and intellect and, and understanding. The book of 1 John is not meant to describe how great your faith is, but it's meant to, to point out who you are focused on, who you are trusting in in this life. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31, Jesus accuses Peter of little faith. You'll remember when Peter's walking on the water and he begins to, he, he has his focus on Jesus and, and he begins to sink into the water. He starts focusing on the things around him and Jesus pulls him out of the water and says, oh, ye of little faith. And Jesus wasn't saying to Peter, you need to believe more, Peter. You need to buckle your straps up and, 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 and just have stronger faith. What, what Jesus was saying to Peter is, is you're not believing in the right thing. You're not focused on the right thing. Your, your faith is not directed in the right way. And we live in a culture today, even our own government, we have what's called faith-based programs, right? Faith-based programs. But the object of those faith-based programs may not be the right object. Our government doesn't do a lot, and I might get myself in the trouble here, Jeff. Our government doesn't do a lot of things for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Can I get an amen on that one? Good. All right. Any, any oh me's? <laughs> they don't do a lot of things for the glory of Christ. So when you say something is faith-based, if, if, if it's faith-based, meaning that Christ is the essence of it, then praise the Lord for it. But if it's faith-based, meaning it, we base it on that we believe in something then it really has no impact or effect. We are told in Matthew 17 and verse 20 that faith the size of a mustard seed can do what? Can move mountains, right? So it really doesn't matter how big your faith is. You can have faith that's really, the, the, the mustard seed was the smallest of all seeds. So it really doesn't matter how big your faith is. It matters what's the object of your faith. What is your faith focused on? What are you trusting in for salvation, for eternal security, for eternal hope? We also want to remember that the test of saving faith, the test of saving faith never deals with your natural abilities. God never tests saving faith by saying, John, do this, and if you do it, then you're saved. He never tests it by our natural abilities. God tests faith in our lives by the supernatural. In other words, the question is not what can you do for God. The question is what has God done in you and what is God doing through you? You see, true faith is what takes the impossible and makes it possible, not because God gives you the strength to do it, but because God does it through you. Some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking, you know something, I could never overcome this. I could never win in this area. This area is a hopeless area. And th the reason you might say that is because your faith is focused on, that's right. But when you learn that when we have faith in Christ, nothing is impossible. Matter of fact, in that text in Matthew 17 and verse 20, it says, he who has the faith of a mustard seed is able to move mountains and nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. 
So when the light shines on us, it shines on us to reveal what's going on inside of us, to reveal our faith, to, to show not how much faith we have, but to show where our faith is focused. My purpose this morning is to go a little bit deeper than what we talked about last week and to talk about what it looks like to walk in the light. If you wanted to subtitle this sermon, it would be Walking in the Light. What does it mean to walk in the light? Why do believers do it and unbelievers don't? Or why do believers do it and unbelievers can't? And what is the ultimate result of it? So if you're taking notes, those would be the three um, the three points that we'll look at this morning, okay? What does it mean to walk in the light? Why do believers do it and unbelievers don't or can't? It's impossible for them to do so. Romans 8 and verse 7, the Bible says that the unbeliever, the natural man, is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. In other words, it's impossible for for a natural man, an unregenerate man, a lost man to stand in the presence of God, to be in the light of God and not seek to run and hide. And we see that clearly in Genesis chapter number two and three, don't we? In chapter number one, we see this perfect state and then we introduce Adam and Eve into the picture and there's, there is harmony and there's peace and there's all of these great things and, and, and everything that a man could ever imagine. It's, it's a perfect state. But immediately when man introduces sin, when Satan and man introduce sin into the world, immediately Adam and Eve um, do three things. They, they hide, they try to cover their own sins, they clothe themselves, and they blame each other, right? Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Listen, because this is real practical. This is real. This is where the rubber meets the road. If in your world, when the light shines on your flaws, if you respond in those three ways... Okay, you can answer the question, you can answer the statement for me, can't you? It's not healthy. It's not, it's not the sign of the Spirit of God living inside of us. When we respond like Adam and Eve responded, when the light shines on us, when God came into the garden after they had sinned, he's like, Adam, where are you, right? He knew where Adam was. Adam was hiding from the light. He didn't want anything to do with the light because he knew that the light, he was guilty, right? And he deserved to be punished. Let's read the text together. Um, Follow along with me. We'll begin in verse number five of chapter one. The Bible says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. There There are no shadows. There are no secret places at all, okay? If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In verse 8, through t- verse eight and 10, two very strong accusations against those who claim to be righteous outside of Christ. 
Those who claim, number one, not to be sinners by nature, and those who claim, number two, not to be sinners by practice. This is a serious accusation. Verse number 10 is a very serious accusation because it says that we call God a liar. And all you have to do is go to Romans 3 and you see that no man seeks after God. There's no one who does good. There's no one who is righteous, right? So the moment that you start saying that I'm righteous, you've just, you've just called God a what? When God says that there is no one who is righteous and you say that I am righteous, you've just called God a serious accusation, isn't it? You see, our righteousness is not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness in us. It's Christ's righteousness imputed to us. It's his record and his account put to our account and our record. It's not us being great. It's him being great. It's not us receiving glory. It's him receiving glory. Our salvation is not about us. We were listening to a song this week in the car. My wife and I were driving. It was yesterday. And I'm not even going to tell you what song it is because I'm horrible about remembering those things. But the essence of the song was is that Jesus Christ died because we were so worthy of it. And I thought, no, I don't think that hits the mark. I think Jesus Christ died because we were such sinners and so deserving of God's wrath and judgment. And because God loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Not because we were valuable, not because we were significant, but because what Jesus Christ was valuable, what Jesus Christ was, did was significant. This is a hard thing to understand, yet it is crucial to your salvation and to my salvation. Let's go on. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I just want to unpack this for you this morning. First of all, we're going to look at the r rationalization of walking in the light. Or what does it mean to walk in the light? The term walk in the Greek literally means to, it's, it's the idea of living. What John did is John took kind of the simplest of things, right? So when you think of the simplest of things, we might go back to even breathing, right? Because it's not something that we really think about a lot. It's just kind of something that happens. When John uses this term for walking in the light, he's, he's referring to the very basic things of life. Just the, the things that we just do kind of naturally. It is who we are. I don't... When I walk across the stage here, I don't think, you know, right foot, left foot, right, right. maybe you do, but I, I, I've got that down now, and, and, and I don't have to think about it. It's just something that's natural to me. It's, it's who I am. So when John picks out this term, he picks it out to make a statement that what we do and who we are and what is natural to us and, and what is our daily lives and how do we live every, every moment of our lives, that's what he's describing with this word walking in the light. We walk in the light, we talk in the light, we work in the light, we play in the light, we pray in the light, we sleep in the light, we entertain in the light. Everything that we do is wrapped up into this phrase into this term okay so it is about our lifestyle it's about our livelihood everything is built into this term about your daily routine all right he's not speaking about a decision or an event or something that happened five years ago or ten years ago john is talking about what is your daily life like right now 
And all of us, our lives are governed by something. All of us, our lives, are, our routines are governed, our decisions are governed by something. And for some, it's fear. How many of you have ever known someone that every decision that they made was based on fear? Have you ever met anybody like that? They, just, they, were, they were just always hesitant to do anything. Do you know why that is? Because their life pattern was governed by fear. Now, some people are the opposite. Their life pattern is governed by an, over, an overabundance of confidence. I don't know which one is worse, but uh, they both can get you into trouble, right? But their lives are governed by something. Some people's lives are governed, governed by greed. Other people's lives are governed by generosity. Some people's lives are governed by guilt. Others by, by innocence and forgiveness. Some people's lives are governed by anger. And other people's lives are governed by kindness. There are people in our world today that you can make the kindest and nicest statement to them. You can walk up and say the, you can say the best thing that you could think of and imagine in your mind. And they're going to respond to you with what? With meanness. It's just simply who they are, isn't it? And there's no changing it. On the other hand, there are people you can say the meanest and harshest thing in the world to, and they'll smile back at you and say, thank you so much. Why is that? Because it, it, it is who they are. You see, what John is talking about is not necessarily what we do, but it's talking about we're defined by who we are. Jesus Christ doesn't change our actions. He changes our person. And when he changes us on the inside, what happens to the outside? Do we have to worry about the outside changing when the inside has already changed? Matter of fact, you go to scripture and you find that the Pharisees were always focused on changing the outside. And why did they have to focus so hard on changing the outside? Because on the inside, they were what? Jesus calls them whited sepulchers, uh, uh, tombs with bones in them, right? Right? It's who we are. Some people's lives are, gated, are, are governed by hatred, other people by love. Some people's lives are guided by pride, other people by humility. Some people's lives are guided by darkness, and other people's lives are guided by light. I mentioned it a moment ago, Adam and Eve are a good example of this, because at one moment in the scriptures, their life is guided completely by light. But in, the, in a split second, when they sinned, their life became guided. Every decision that they made beyond the point of sin was guided by their desire to be in the dark. They wanted to hide from God. Because this was who they were. This was who they had become. Let's see here. My notes are not in the right order. You ever have that what happened, Jeff? Okay. So walking in the light is, is, it, 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 it is what you do. It's your daily routine. It is who you are. Number two, the Bible says that those who walk in the light, what is the light? When we think of the light, oftentimes we, we conclude that the, the light means walking in righteousness, Right? It's always doing the right thing. How many of us walk in the light if it means always doing the right thing? Okay. <laughs> Somebody else needs to be up here preaching if you are that person, right? None of us walk in the light if it means walking in righteousness, okay? Now, all the time. 
Now, later in the text, in, in 1 John, it does talk about walking in the light as being walking in righteousness. But the, con, the, the context here is not talking about rocking, walking in righteousness when it talks about walking in the light. The context is this. He's talking about walking and living life in transparency. He's talking about walking and living life honestly. Let me use this word, openly. We're all guilty, aren't we? When we offend somebody, when we hurt somebody, when we do something that we do wrong, we do something towards our wife or we do something towards our husband or we do something towards our parents and we're all guilty of having this mindset of if I can just hide it from them, if they just never know about it, right, everything's going to be okay. Let me suggest to you that what John implies in this text is that you're walking in, you're walking in darkness, Walking in the light means to walk in full integrity, in full openness for who you are. To, 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 not, be, to not be secretive or hidden from the truth. Walking in the light is walking in transparency and honesty. Honest about our sin, guilt, and justice. Remember, remember this, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, read it in your own time. Only the guilty are afraid of the, only the guilty are afraid of the light. Only the guilty are afraid of the light. One of the errors of Gnosticism, which is spoken of here in this text, is that they believed in sinless perfection. They believed that they couldn't do anything wrong. They believed that God's children could not continue in sin. What John teaches in this text is that we are all sinners. Matter of fact, in chapter number two, when he says, my little children, I am writing unto you, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, if you have a, Pin, write a note beside that word if and just put the word when. Because really what he's implying is is that when you do sin, when you do sin, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we do sin, there is hope as we walk in the light. The light is meant to expose that all are sinners the reason why he says in chapter 1 and verse 9, confess your sins, the word in the Greek literally means to agree with God about, to say the same thing that God says, not to minimize your sins, but to maximize your sins. Romans says this, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You say, well, Pastor John, I'm a, I'll get out there and sin really hard now because I want grace. That's not, what, that's not what Paul is talking about. Please don't leave here and say, Pastor John said I could. Listen, what he's saying is this, maximize your sins. Stop minimizing them. Stop calling sins by another term to make them seem less offensive. Right? Well, you just told a little white lie. You know what you just did? You removed yourself from great grace. You told a big lie. You told a huge lie. I like in the Old Testament, I believe, I believe it's in Samuel where it talks about the rebellion. 
I've heard it said before, I was a youth pastor for a few years, and I've heard parents come to me and ask me, Pastor John, my kid's going through a stage of rebellion. I just don't know what to do. And, and, and always, always this idea that rebellion was kind of a stage that all these kids went to, through, right? You've heard it before, right? They're just going through a, they're just going through a phase, right? The scriptures tell us in the Old Testament that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. I always ask the parents of these teenagers, would you let your kid have a seance? Would you let them mess with demonic spirits? And they're like, no. And I was like, that's what rebellion is. See, that's what calling it what God calls it means. We're not minimizing our sins. We're maximizing the effects. We're maximizing the nature of our sins so that then grace is maximized. If I'm a little sinner, then grace only has to be little towards me. If I'm a great sinner, then grace is magnified in the deliverance that God brings into my world from my sins. Psalm 51, verse 1 through 5, as well as verse 17, David acknowledges his sin. He says, against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. David accepts responsibility and pleads with God for mercy. Hebrews 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, God sees everything. Psalm 139 says, if we make our beds in hell, God is there. If we run and and flee to the heavens, God is there. God is everywhere. And he sees everything. The problem is not whether or not God knows what you're doing. The problem is whether or not you acknowledge that God knows what you're doing. Isaiah 66 and verse 2, the Bible says, All these things my hands have made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this one to whom I will look, he who is of a humble and broken or contrite spirit and trembles at my word. The light is to expose us. Walking in the light means you're walking in total honesty. You are liberated to be free, to be you not have to be hiding all the time. Number two, the reason for walking in the light. I'm gonna move quickly, so please bear with me. Number one, remember this. Unbelievers refuse to live transparent, honest lives because they have misplaced faith. In other words, religious unbelievers refuse to walk in the light. They are always hiding from someone or something because they have misplaced faith. There are people within the the Christian realm who still trust in their works. So when they fail to meet up to the standard based upon their works, they do what? They hide, don't they? Because their faith is not in what it ought to be in. Their faith is in their works their good deeds. If you're not trusting in your good deeds and you do something wrong, is there any reason at all to hide? Is there? If you are trusting in your good deeds and you fail, there's every reason in the world to hide at that moment. That is why this is a authenticator of our faith. It's why it's revealing of our faith. 
Unbelievers trust in performance. The scripture tells us if you're trusting in performance, you have to keep the whole law. Unbelievers trust in personal goodness. The scriptures tell us we're all sinners. Unbelievers trust in significance, position, possession, heritage, so forth and so on. The scriptures tell us over and over again that all of those things fall short. The reason why we are a world that lives in the darkness, that always walks carefully and fearfully and is always hiding is that we're not trusting in the right thing. The object of our faith is here and not here. It is not what Jesus Christ has done for us, but it is about what we can do for Jesus Christ. And guess what? Listen to me. You will always fail if you're trusting in what you can do for Jesus. Believers walk in the light. They are bold in the light. They, the Bible implies in John 3 that they run into the light. You don't see that a lot, do we? Why do they run into the light? Why do they walk into the light? Why do believers love the light? I'll tell you four reasons very quickly. The Bible says this in our text. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. The first reason why a believer can walk into the light is that their sins have been atoned for. Our sins have been paid for, past, present, and future. They will never, according to God's word, our sins will never be held against us. There is no reason for us to walk in fear. There is no reason for us to hide from God any longer because our sins have been dealt with. This is the most, this is the most amazing treasure that Christians have. That we know that Jesus Christ in his sufficiency in his perfection, came down from heaven 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect 33 years of his life. He hung on a tree because of our sins. And he hath made us righteous. The reason why we have no reason to fear, the reason why we have no reason to hide is because of Jesus Christ paying for our sins. May I suggest to you this morning that when we do hide, when we fail, what do we minimize? We minimize the cross. We minimize the cross. Our sins have been atoned for. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6, the Bible teaches that he bore our sins and our transgressions, that all of our stripes And all of our iniquities were placed on him. Why do we not need to hide? Because our sins have been paid for. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that your sins have been paid for? Do you believe that Jesus Christ 100% sufficiently paid for your sins? Listen, walk in the light. You have no reason not to. Right? You have no reason not to. You think about a criminal who goes and robs the bank. Immediately after that criminal robs the bank, he goes and he does what? He goes to the police station and asks them to arrest him, right? No, he goes and he hides in the darkness, does he not? When the judge claims him innocent, does he go back into the darkness? He has no reason to, does he? Our sins 
have been paid for. Not only that, but the Bible says in verse 9 of chapter number 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Our sins have been paid for and our sins have been forgiven. I'm going to use a different word there because I think that word gives us this meaning. Our sins have been forgotten. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west have our sins been placed from him. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that he will remember our sins no more. This does not in any way attack the the omniscience of God, the all-knowing nature of God. It doesn't in any way affect that. What God is saying is this, that God will never hold your sins against you. Amen? We don't need to hide. God will never hold our sins against us. He has placed them as far as the east is from the west from from his wrath and judgment. I'm I'm glad of that this morning, amen? I'm thankful that I can stand in the presence of God, that I can stand in the light and know that my sins have been dealt with and forgiven. Number three, he says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if or but when anyone does sin, we have a, an advocate. We have an advocate. Number three, the third reason why we have no reason to hide is that we have an advocate. The advocate is Jesus Christ, and it doesn't stop there. He says he is the righteous one. He is the one who intercedes for us. He is our helper. He is like an attorney. If you go to Revelation chapter number 12, I'm just going to read it to you, verse 10, 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony, by the word of the testimony of Christ. And they love not their lives even unto the death. We have an advocate We have an intercessor, one who goes before the Father on our behalf. You see, the devil is daily bringing up accusations to God about you. And he's pleading with God to destroy you. And Jesus Christ is daily pleading with God based upon the sufficiency of his own blood to bless you. We have an advocate The fourth reason why we don't need to hide is our sins have been propitiated. The word propitiation, don't be afraid of it. It just simply means satisfied. God's wrath towards our sin has been satisfied. God's wrath towards our sin has been satisfied. In other words, God poured out his wrath upon Jesus Christ in your place and in my place. The Bible tells us that he died for our sins, for our benefit, for our blessing. In every way possible, we benefit from Jesus Christ's death. And he took the full punishment of God's wrath on that day. When we look to the cross, we must recognize the significance of our sins, that God would put his own son his only begotten son through the suffering and anguish and embarrassment that God put his only begotten son through. When you see that embarrassment, when you see that pain, when you see that suffering, know that that is because of the extent and extensive nature of your sin.
and that God's wrath is no longer towards those who walk in the light. That not walk in darkness. Lastly, this morning, what is the result of walking in the light? I'll give you these three things. The Bible says this. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. The word fellowship here literally means a partnership. When you walk in the light, you have been partnered with God. Listen to me, folks. The devil wants everything in his power to keep you from being honest about your sins from being transparent about who you are and what you struggle with because he knows that if he can get you to hide, you will never walk with God. The Bible tells us in James that God giveth more grace, right? The word more there is the Greek word megas. It means mega. God gives mega grace. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Listen, where do we need to be at this morning? Where do we need to walk? We need to walk in light. We need to walk in integrity. We need to walk in honesty. When we walk in the light, when we're open, we're transparent before God, we're confessing, God, I'm failing. I fail each and every day, and we're just confessing God is right there with us. He's walking beside us. He is causing us to be victorious. He is creating opportunities through which and by which we can glorify him. What a wonderful opportunity that we have when we experience victory in Christ. We glorify him and not self. Walking the light results in partnering with the Lord. Number two, it works. It results in partnering with believers. He says we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. The church should be a place of extraordinary transparency and accountability. There should be no fear in the church of people saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with this. We should be able to be open and transparent and know that we're not going to be judged, but someone's going to be there to walk beside us and to help us. When, when Matthew talks about in Matthew 7 about getting the beam out of your own eye so that you can help a brother who has a, a, a dust in his eye, right? What he's saying is this, that before you will ever be able to help another brother, you have to recognize and acknowledge that you have a beam in your own eye. One of the greatest comforts, if, if you go to somebody with a judgmental spirit, they will not receive you. The Bible even says in 1 Corinthians 13, you will be like a, a clanging cymbal to them. You ever had somebody that talked to you and it just sounded like clanging cymbals in your ear? You did not want to hear what they had to say. But if you can go to somebody recognizing your own failures... you'll be able to help them. Why? Because you walk in the light. You walk in transparency. You're not perfect. We're all in need of the grace of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals a transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will, will obtain mercy. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The fervent prayer of a righteous man has great power as it, is, as, as it is working. When's the last time you shared with somebody your sins? You say, Pastor, that would be horrible. Listen, what does it say about us if we can't share our sins on this level? What does it say about us on this level? Honestly, I'm, I'm less concerned about what you think about my sins than I am on what he thinks about my sins.
Bible says in Psalms, blessed is the man, oh boy, this is bad. Blessed is the man who loves thy law. Blessed is the man who loves God's law, for he will not be offended. In other words, a man who has stood in the presence of God's law, man could never offend them. Lastly, walking in the light is liberation from sin. Jesus says, these things have I written unto you that you may not sin. In other words, John says, walk in the light. And as you walk in the light, as you walk in full honesty and integrity about who you are, you will slowly be delivered from sin. You know what the devil says? And I, I've, I've, I've taught this to my own kids. The devil teaches us to stay in the dark. Don't tell anybody about it. Do you know what happens when you don't tell anybody about it? Do you know what happens when you stay in the darkness with it, teenagers? It gets worse. It gets bigger. What the Lord says, get in the light. You're sinful. You're struggling. You're dealing with problems. Whatever it might be, you're angry. You're lustful. Get in the light. Because it is in the light that you will get help from God and from others. And you will slowly begin to be victorious over your sin. You see, folks, Satan has deceived us. Satan has convinced us. Satan, according to 2 Corinthians 4, has blinded us to believing that the darkness is the safe place. And God tells us that the light is the safe place. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not saved. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have done everything in your power, perhaps, to convince him that you're good enough. You have done everything in your power, perhaps, to live in the religious shadows. My challenge to you this morning is come out of the shadows. Enter into the light. Confess before the God of the universe who you are and desperately fall on your knees before the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and receive the mercy and the forgiveness that only he can give. Jesus says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, if we agree with God about who we are, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. In all of this, we have an extraordinary hope. We don't have to run and hide. We dwell in the presence of our God because of his grace and his goodness to us.